Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Hey guys, so I'll make this pitch extremely easy for you. We've got a free $20 to hand to you, which you can use on fantasy sports betting immediately. All you have to do is download the Thrive Fantasy app, sign up using the promo code LEGACY, and deposit a minimum of $20, and you'll get an instant $20 bonus tacked onto that. With the NBA reset season and playoffs underway, fantasy sports and daily betting for the resident NBA junkie has never been this intense and this fun. And when it comes to fantasy betting platforms, make sure to make the right choice and hashtag prop up on Thrive Fantasy this season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports app for players that makes games super simple and intuitive that even first-time beginners can pick it up instantly. Enter a contest where all you have to do is choose 10 out of the 20 player prop options to build your lineup. You're merely dealing with over-under prop bets that each have a point total associated to them based on likelihood of occurring. The more points a selection is worth, the riskier it is. Rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. So what are you waiting for? Win some money on the side while you watch the excitement of this year's NBA playoffs. Again, use promo code LEGACY when you sign up today and you'll receive an instant $20 bonus on your first deposit of $20 or more. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store or by visiting their website www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and hashtag prop up today. everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast where somebody call 911 shorty fire burning on the dance floor. Ooh, she's fire burning where, Tommy? On the dance floor. <laughs> she's fire burning where, Alan? On the dance floor. Yeah, shorty's fire burning on the dance floor. And that dance floor is the basketball court in Orlando this August. And the Lakers just called 911 for some extra help for their playoff run next month. And by 911, we are talking about Mr. Get the Pipe Henny himself, J.R. Smith. I am your host, Jonathan Hernandez. And if anyone's confused as to why J.R. Smith is Mr. 911, I am referencing a quote from LeBron James in which he once said about J.R., Quote, we called him 911 because when there's an emergency, give it to him and it's cash. End quote. So the Lakers have made the call and we are now hoping for some cash monies. If you are looking forward to some fireworks this 4th of July, you don't need to set off real ones. And it's probably illegal to do so nowadays anyways. But just look no further than the Lakers newest wing tandem of J.R. Smith and Dion Waiters, the Stash Bros. Uh, I forget who who coined that term on Twitter. I think it's at the Laker Review, so very witty and clever. Super stash bros. Um, I am joined as usual by my co-hosts Alan and Tommy. Alan, have you ever called nine one one for anything? Um, I have not, but I have been with people who've had to. Unfortunately, oh. is yeah. it was it serious? This is not a funny topic. This is not. No, a, it's not. not. <laughs> 
<laughs> hey, Tommy, have you had to call 911 before? <laughs> Every day. Thank you for lightening lightening that Do up a little bit. Do not share with us why you have to call 911 every day. Um, okay, let's move on. <laughs> uh, welcome to the show, everybody. Um, as usual, we're going to breeze through these plugs real quick. Please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please follow us on Instagram at Lakers Legacy Pod. You can now also watch these shows on YouTube. Just search Lakers Legacy and find our channel and subscribe. Um, I think we only have 10 subscribers right now, and two of those are me and my girlfriend. So we actually only have eight. It's so pathetic. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so help us I'll, out. I'll make practice. it 11 later tonight. My bad. <laughs> we only have 10 and one. Two are me and my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> womp, womp, womp. Um, so obviously, if you're watching this, Tommy right now has his camera off for privacy work reasons, but... uh, He's just too beautiful. How much money in Patreon donations will it take for you to turn on your screen and show us a little chin action? Oh, ho, 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 ho. like at least $100 a day. <laughs> okay, how many, how many five-star iTunes ratings to see a little bit of uh, Adam's Apple action? Oh, oh. Oh, like at least 20 more five-star reviews. At least 20 more iTunes five-star ratings and reviews. You heard it here first. Tommy will do it if you come and provide. So yeah, please rate and review us five stars on iTunes. If you want to help us out financially in any small way, you can go to patreon.com slash the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where you'll get special incentives and early listens to content. And maybe soon we'll be able to actually live stream what we're doing right now. And uh, you can actually see us run and stumble through this whole show in real time. So you can become a patron for as little as $1 a month and get access to that and slowly build your way to seeing Tommy's Adam's Apple. Uh, Tommy, for now, will just be our resident Wilson neighbor from Home Improvement where you'll never actually see his full face. But I don't know, maybe you'll see, like I said, his Adam's Apple. Um, but yeah, if you can't do anything else, please rate and review us five stars on iTunes, Apple Podcasts app. Help us get to 420. We are still stuck at 410. And then after 420, 500 ratings and reviews after that. That would be amazing. Uh, speaking of rating and reviews, tonight we will have aforementioned Tommy Alexander, our impressionist extraordinaire, read the review of the night. And tonight he will be reading the review as Clippers guard Patrick Beverly. But here's the scenario. Patrick Beverly has woken up from the Grand Destino's private movie theater after watching an advanced screening of Mulan and is now late to Clippers practice because he slept overnight. But also, he's starting to develop a little bit of a dry cough. So with that scenario in place, um, here's Tommy doing that impression of Patrick Beverly in that very specific scenario. Patrick Beverly, take it away. <clears throat> <clears throat> This review is entitled From LG OG to LLP OGs. The Lakers Legacy Pod crew is legit. They understand the Laker fans want info about all players, superstars to role players. The hosts are genuine and dedicated to their craft. I look forward to each episode and listen pat to and listen to past episodes to relive memories. Keep putting out solid content. Jason LG. Thank you very much, Jason LG. And by the way, that is uh, Jason Lamb, who first started Lakers Ground with him and his buddy like back in 1995, I think. And I know, Tommy, you use LG. I used to use it more actively, but that's pretty cool to have like a godfather of Lakers forums kind of uh, dap us up and give us that praise. So thanks a lot, Jason. Um, yeah, that is awesome. I, I have used LG since I was 12 years old, which is pretty crazy. <laughs> when I, when I first signed up for LG, you had to, you couldn't have like a free email account from like Yahoo or something. You had to, Ooh. uh, have like a ISP email account. So I had to use my mom's oh. email account to <laughs> make an account on LG. LG was like the, how Facebook initially started like an exclusive group kind of, or that's how it sounds like. Uh, but yeah, yeah. pretty cool. Uh, Tommy, that was an amazing impression of Patrick Beverly waking up from having dozed off to Disney's Mulan and all of a sudden having a slight cough. What went into your impression of all that going on? 
I thought about what it would be like to be the captain now and want to want to make a man out of those around me. And I channeled that into the body of an extremely, the world's most annoying human being. And then I just ejected words and it became Patrick Beverly. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now that cough that you're experiencing, is that possibly COVID? Uh, you were positive about that, Jonathan. Oh, <laughs> very nice. Thank you, Pat Beverly. Thank you. Um, okay, with that said, uh, let's move on to our show. A brief info summary. Um, it's been confirmed that the Lakers are set to sign and will sign 35-year-old swingman J.R. Smith to the team. Before we move any further, I always like to do this bit where I'm like, hey guys, uh, what do you think the title of the show is? And you guys never get it because <laughs> how could you? But hey guys, what do you think the title of the show is if it's centered around J.R. Smith and Dion Waiters? Uh, <laughs> something with 911 and and gummies. That's a pretty good guess, but I eventually okay. settled on Bubalo Wild Wings. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for Dion Waiters and Jared Smith, who are both wings, and they're both wild, and I, I incorporated the bubble. So there you go. Uh, so yes. Uh, I was the close. Lakers, yeah, you were close. Uh, the Lakers are set to sign and will sign 35-year-old swingman J.R. Smith uh, tomorrow or today, depending on when you listen to this. Uh, with that signing, the Lakers have their full 17 players locked in, including their two two-way guys in Costas and Kaycock. Uh, J.R. Smith effectively takes Avery Bradley's spot as a substitution player and will be signed on for the rest of the season and then become a free agent after all of this is over. And Avery Bradley will still have his player option to exercise come free agency in October. And just a reminder that he is due around $4.8 million next year, and we hope he opts in. Um, this week, the first wave of teams should start heading over to Orlando to begin quarantining and training camp prep. DeAndre Jordan and Wilson Chandler have both opted to sit out. They're both on the nets. Uh, DeAndre has tested positive for COVID, and along with him, his teammate Spencer Dinwiddie has also tested positive, and while he's still unsure of whether or not he's going to go, he did mention that he started. He's showing a little bit. He's showing some symptoms, so we'll see what happens there. Um, Sixteen players, and most likely more, have tested positive out of the three hundred plus something of NBA players who were tested. But it seems like the NBA is getting out ahead of it before training camp starts. Um, last additional bubble tidbit: once playoffs start. If someone gets sick, you can only replace them with someone who has three years or less of NBA experience. So it can either be a G League player or someone from Lonzo Ball's draft class, pretty much. Um, all right, with that said, our first topic is going to be the release of the Lakers' first eight games. We got their schedule. Uh, they'll be starting off against... Did we play the Clippers or the Bucks before we got hit with COVID? Oh, played no, we Brooklyn, played the, the Nets first. We lost. Yeah. Yeah. Was it? And then it was, I think it was the Clippers shortly before that. So we play the Clippers again. That was on a Sunday and then, yeah. Yeah. So we play them again the first uh, night getting back on July 30th, Thursday. Um, And I'll just run through the schedule really quick. After that, we play the Raptors on Saturday, Utah on Monday, the Oklahoma City Thunder on Wednesday. And that one is a weird start time, 3.30 p.m. uh, Pacific time. Uh, Thursday, we play the Houston Rockets. Uh, Saturday, we play the Indiana Pacers. And then we close it out with the Denver Nuggets and the Sacramento Kings. There is only one back-to-back set uh, in our first eight games, and that's the OKC-Houston games. Uh, Lakers currently have a 5.5 game lead over the second-place Clippers. Not that home court advantage really matters. I think at this point, seeding only really matters for playoff matchups and who you want to play and what brackets you want to fall into. And I'm pretty sure the Lakers would rather face whoever gets the eighth seed than a potential bout with the Dallas Mavericks or the Houston Rockets. Although facing off against Chris Paul and the OKC Thunder may be interesting. Um, But in any case, they pretty much have the number one seed locked up and I think only really have to win maybe three games. Uh, So with that said, what do you guys think about their schedule? 
We have some top-level matchups here with the Clippers, Rockets, Jazz, Houston, and Denver. I guess my question is, do you prefer that they play against these sorts of, you know, high-level teams to get them better tuned up? Um, and so by the time, you know, the playoffs start, they're already ready to go. Does it even matter? What even is a quote-unquote tough schedule at this point? Because all teams are sort of trying to get ramped up and, you know, regardless of whether or not you think each team is going to play their playoff rotation, there's still going to be, you know, relative gamesmanship involved here with regards to, you know, teams not showing their hand in the first eight games, like like a normal, you know, playoff gear up for teams. Um, so, yeah, I guess with that said, what are your what are your thoughts on on the Lakers schedule here? And are there any like interesting, cool, interesting narratives and whatnot? Um, yeah, Alan, let's start with you. Um, to answer your question about like how much does it actually matter, I think it matters a little bit, and I I do like that we have some challenging opponents because, okay, let's say we don't have a very good record after these eight games, maybe we're five and three, right? Um, or obviously we could be right at five hundred. Does it matter that much that we lose those games? I mean, besides like overall seeding, um, you would imagine that even though the Clippers strength of schedule is easier, you know, everyone's shaking off that rust. So I would rather play more difficult teams, maybe have a rougher time with it. And that in my eyes could help us to become more fine tuned for the playoffs. Even if it means sacrificing some wins. If you have too many easy matchups, not that it's a walk in the park, it's still the league, but, um, I don't know. I think I would just rather have that more like iron sharpens iron, like kind of a thing, you know? Sure. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of like that. It's, it's tough. Yeah. Uh, Tommy, what, what about you? I like that. It's tough as well. I mean, we only need three, not that the seeding really matters like a ton. I mean, I will say it, it, it matters a little bit if you, if you consider that um, maybe the gap between, you know, like the, two and three team, it might not be as big as the gap between the one and four team for, I guess if you're thinking down the line, you know, for the second round, there might be a good reason to want to be the number one seed. So you get an easier matchup slightly in the second round. Um, so that doesn't really matter. I think it's nice because like we need three games to, to clinch number one, that shouldn't be that bad out of eight, you know? And I, I think, it's nice to have the ramp up. We are coming at like into such a weird experience and you know, it, it's a very small exposure to like a small group of teams before you then just start seeing the same team every single game for a while. And I think if you have a regular or like an easy last or first eight games, and then you're, you know, let's say for example, the one seed playing the eight seed and you're just playing that team like five, six times in a row, you might not be getting as sharp as you think you're getting. Um, you know, the guys really sharpen their skills when they're competing at the highest level. And so for that reason, I kind of like that we're playing a ton of really tough teams and it doesn't matter if we lose, it's like good, get it out of the way now and then go into the, uh, the playoffs a little bit more refined. Um, so I think it's going to be a pretty quick ramp up. I think I've said this before. Like, I think, certainly first game. I don't think game one is going to be like a preseason game. I don't think they're going to play guys 15 minutes. I think guys are going to be playing like 30, um, you know, or certainly at least 25 to 30. So maybe towards the end of where they would be in the preseason. And then it's going to be a pretty quick ramp up to, I think by game eight, you know, you have your main guys playing like 38 plus minutes, you know? So um, yeah. But I, I like that we have the hard schedule and we can kind of build up through through it um, while we get ready. Yeah, I agree. And also to put it into context, uh, you know, like I mentioned, what is tough in these first eight games, we are probably not going to see the extent of how the Clippers, Toronto, Utah, Houston, et cetera, are actually going to play in the playoffs. Because like I said, everybody has their own transition period. But to the extent that you can sharpen yourself, I think it's good that the Lakers are able to play against, at the very least, high caliber opponents. Even if you throw into the trash can, you know, like 
team cohesion for all of these teams. It's like you're still playing against Kawhi and Paul George. You're still playing against Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. You're still playing against James Harden and Russell Westbrook, right? So at the very least, you get to see, okay, I've had a lot of time off. How how do we face or how do we face off against all of these superstars, regardless of whether or not they are also trying to catch their bearings? So, um, yeah, like Alan said, I agree that I'm glad that it'll help them sort of sharpen them up as uh, to the extent that they can, given the circumstances. Um, with that said, um, are there any interesting matchups at play here that you're seeing? I, I think it's it's cool that we'll face the Houston Rockets. I don't know if we've faced them since they've gotten Robert Covington and shipped Clint Capella out. So we'll get to. We s- did. We did. Oh, okay, we lost. Right. I think we we lost. Yeah, it was. It was like in the first quarter, we just dunked like 16 times or something. And then it kind of felt like we just thought it was going to be easy. And then they beat us in the second half. Yeah, I think that may have also been during like post Kobe. I I, I don't remember. But uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how we fare against a super small team like that once again in the playoffs and whether or not, you know, how long can Dwight stay on the floor? Will we be able to see... Anthony Davis at the five more often, et cetera, et cetera. So will Markeith Morris help us out in that respect? So that that's an interesting uh, matchup that I kind of circled. Uh, anything from you guys? Nope. Okay, cool. So before we take it to our first break, uh, Tommy, why don't you, and before we talk about uh, J.R. Smith and Dion Waiters, et cetera, uh, you weren't here the last podcast, but why don't you give us your quick thoughts on uh, the loss of Avery Bradley and uh, I guess just how much of an impact you think that'll have on, on the Lakers' defensive identity, although, you know, maybe you throw a lot out the window because of the gap. Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts on losing Avery Bradley? I think it's a huge loss. Uh, Avery Bradley, you know, played 49 he played 49 games for us of those 49. He started all but five. So he was a starter for you know, two over two thirds of the games that we've played so far. Like he, he was giving us 25 minutes a night, like consistently solid effort, pressing full court the whole game. It's hard to find guys to do that. Like right before we went into the quarantine, he finally got his shot going and started hitting a really good percentage, certainly from three. I think he was close to a career high, if not a career high from three. I, I I would have to look again, but with good volume hitting a high percentage and it was, he was just dominating, you know what I mean? It was like really fun to watch. He was operating in the mid range. He was utilizing the pick and roll. It almost felt like he was becoming a third scorer for us in, in some games. So I think it's like an enormous loss. Um, that being said, I, I hope that we'll have guys step up. I'm, I may be getting too optimistic just because of all your hype, Jonathan, of, of Dion Waiters uh, <laughs> potentially stepping in uh, to, to fill the void. J.R. Smith, I think, gives a really interesting look for us. And, and I there was I made a strong or could have made a strong argument. We should have signed him, uh, signed him over Waiters in the first place. So I think that was a really solid pickup. Um I am a little concerned about the point guard play because I feel like we're going to be leaning on Rondo so heavily just because he's a veteran and he knows all the guys. Um, I Quinn Cook suddenly becomes part of the rotation potentially. Um, you know, Caruso, I, I don't think they're going to start him and I don't necessarily know if I could blame them, although he plays so well with LeBron. He kind of brings a nice energy off the bench. Um, so I kind of like him and Kuzma coming off the bench. So... I don't know. It's going to be weird, but I think the AB loss is so big. Certainly of the teams that are contenders right now, I'd have to think it's the biggest one because we haven't heard of, like, Denver hasn't lost a starter. Or, yeah, they haven't lost anybody. I feel like most teams haven't lost anybody, but certainly not starter players. So um, I think I have one to. team in mind. So I think Bogdanovich of the Jazz is not playing. In Utah, you're right. Yeah, you're so right. that's one yeah, big one. and surgery. then. Yeah, and depending on what happens with Lou Will, he might be one. But I guess to follow up on my question is, of what specifics from Avery do you think we're going to be missing the most here? The specifics, I think the full court pressure is going to be the biggest one because we just can't rely on Rondo to necessarily do that. Again, I think Caruso can do it in bursts, but AB was just a, one of these never-ending energy guys. Like, he yep. could play 40 minutes with that level of intensity, you know? So... 
it, it's that's just going to be a huge loss. The yeah, the full court press, the intensity on defense and toughness at the at the point guard position. He plays super strong. Ah, it's just so many things, but those are the those are the main ones probably. Yeah, he's far less annoying, Patrick Beverly. That's true. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. He his I think his point of attack defense will be missed the most outside of just tangibly what he's doing on the court to annoy opponents. It's like the mm-hmm. mental fatigue that wears on them, right? Where it's just like you oh, can almost 100%. see them look at the bench like, God damn, this guy again. You know what Non-stop. I mean? Stop. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. and that's regardless of whether or not he's actually being effective. Because I'm sure there are times when he's breaking apart from the Lakers team defense fundamentals. But, you know, that does eat away at opponents at a certain point. And like you mentioned, Caruso can do it at times. But I feel like the the rest of the perimeter defenders on this team are good defenders more so in a team aspect. Well, Avery Bradley is just, is just like sick him on somebody, you know, and he's that bulldog that'll get on guys like Harden, Damian Lillard, Jamal Murray, Donovan Mitchell. Those are the guys where yeah, you're kind of like, ooh, who are we sticking on those dudes? You can't put LeBron on them. I guess you do KCP and Caruso at times, but you're kind of more comfortable reserving those players for the rest of your team defense and just saying, it's nice to rely on somebody and just have a guy like Avery Bradley where you know specifically he's honed in on this one guy and we'll just shore up the rest, you know? So... Uh, yeah, I, I do think that's the biggest thing we'll miss from Avery Bradley, regardless of whether or not the Lakers shift to shift back to a more switch-everything sort of defense, which I guess is more common in the playoffs. Um, also, lastly, to Tommy's point, uh, in his last 16 games, the dude was shooting 44-point-something percent from three, hitting 39 of 88, which is ridiculous. I think that's Jeez, like 2.5 or something a game. Um, and like you mentioned, he was killing teams on that dribble screen handoff at the top of the free throw line where he would either yeah. take the mid-range J or drive it into the lane to either take the layup himself or lob it up to a big. That became sort of a money play yeah. for him. And I think the biggest thing offensively outside of just him missing or like making these open threes, especially on the baseline, is the fact that he was really good with his mid-range jump shot this season. And he forced teams to make a decision on him every time a big set him a screen because he could knock yeah. down that mid-range jump shot. So I guess that will oh, transition us to the wings that we have with regards to that mid-range jump shooting and whether or not they can at least shore some of those things that he did offensively up and how the team will come together to sort of patch up uh, the defensive hole that he leaves. So with that said, we'll take it to break. And when we return, we will talk about Bubble Wild Wings. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, in case you missed our announcement at the top of the show, we have partnered with Thrive Fantasy Sports to give you guys a free $20 to play with. All you have to do is download the Thrive Fantasy app, sign up using the promo code LEGACY, and deposit a minimum of $20 and you'll get an instant $20 on top of that that you can play with on NBA games this season. So what are you waiting for? Double up on that $20, start playing some games, and maybe you'll come out with even more. It's Liddy on the Thrive Fantasy app. Oh, that's not their slogan. Prop up on the Thrive Fantasy app. But also, it's Liddy. <laughs> All right, we are back. Uh, the Lakers are set to sign J.R. Smith. I guess my primary question is, why was he the direct replacement for Avery Bradley? Or should we not be looking at it that way? Was it a spur of the moment? We got to find someone and this is a dude who was in our database and we thought of signing him back in March and he has history and chemistry with several players on this team, not to mention LeBron James. He just makes the most sense. Let's go get him. Uh, because obviously his skill set doesn't overlap with Avery Bradley's, I guess, on any spectrum really outside of, you know, he's a sharp shooter. Um but I guess also adding on to that, there really wasn't going to be anyone out there who could be a solid point of attack defender like Avery Bradley anyways. So at that point, you just kind of go with, well, who can help us out in a playoff run, right? Uh, in a holistic way. I guess maybe you can point to Iman Shumpert to do that. But I I think they just assess like the veteranness of J.R. Smith and his relationship with J.R. at the end of the day. But, uh, but yeah, Alan, what are your thoughts? I mean, you kind of shared some last podcast, but if you have any updated things on J.R. Smith and I guess what purpose does he serve um, in this respect? Well, like we talked about before we started recording, uh, I've been watching a lot of J.R. Smith highlights more than I've ever watched in my life. Um, and, I mean, he's pure score, you know, the whole thing. He's a very good, bad shot maker, right? Yeah. Um, he's a guy who can – he's he's very capable, actually, of, like, coming off of a screen 
and catching and shooting, right? I think a lot of times mm-hmm. we might characterize him as more of an ISO player. Um, and I, I heard someone say, like, oh, you know, he's not going to be your J.J. Redick who you're drawing plays up for and things like that. Granted, I'm watching House of Highlights. I feel like 75% of them were five seconds left on the shot clock in the half, whatever it was. And uh, it was like last shot of the game of the half quarter, whatever it is. And um, that's why he's 9-1 run, right? If you're in trouble, you dial it up for him. So those are obviously ATOs, um, you know, things like that, where you can set him up and get that quick bucket. Um, so in, in terms of how I could see him fitting in, I mean, what was the whole thing against the Lakers to start the season? Oh, they don't have shooting, right? Like, they're, they're going to be terrible when it comes to uh, their three-point shooting. Well, we get a guy like JR who, who can fill it up from distance. Um, and then we'll get into Dion later, I'm sure, but he's another guy like that. So, you know, I, I'm not going to say that he's going to be playing in pivotal moments of a game. I'm not saying he'll be closing out important playoff games or anything like that. But if we need him to, um, if, if KCP and Caruso and guys like that just – you know, it's not their night or whatever it is. Um, he, he's the type of player who I think you, you can actually depend on in some type of way, right? Mm-hmm. We'll see how he is right after the whole break that he's had. But uh, that's kind of where my thoughts are on him. He, uh, I, I forget where I heard this too, but he is also like a really good, if you go back to his high school days, football player, baseball player, he's like a, five sport all american whatever type of guy so if you're concerned about him not playing in a couple of years he's just a pure athlete like through Mm -hmm. and through right and um i'm not saying it's that easy in the nba to just turn it on or whatever but at this point everyone in the league is having to turn it on to some extent so it kind of evens that uh that variable out slightly right so yeah i think compared to when we talked last time i'm even more high on him i'm feeling more positive about the signing yeah Um, that was like (laughs) (laughs) yes absolutely you know look at at his floor jr smith to me is just an insurance for if guys fold under the pressure um and before tommy goes um you know granted jr smith averaged starters minutes in his last few playoff stints with the Cavs, and he's definitely not going to get that and he did this when he was 30 31 and 32 he's 34 now the last time he played in the league was 2018-19 and he only played 11 games and i think that was with like colin sexton of the Cavs. um so he's had about a year and a half off but here are is what he did in those playoff runs with the Cavs, uh, where he just shot an insane volume of threes and here are his percentages um that first year, he hit 3.13s a game. Like, he made 3.13s and shot 43% from three-point land. This is in the playoffs. Uh, the next year, this might have been the year that they actually beat the Golden State Warriors. He hit 2.23s a game, shooting 50% from three. Okay, this is his worst year, that, you know, that last year where he had that whole gaffe with LeBron James. He still hit two threes a game. He still made two threes a game. And shot 37%. So the fact that your worst shooting year is a 37% from three, to me, is great. And I feel like you can almost throw out the window, like, what he shot field goal-wise, because he's just going to be inconsistent and he chucks up a lot of, you know, questionable shots. I'm more concerned with his volume shooting from three-point land because that's presumably where you'd need him the most. And in that respect, he has historically always been amazing. And actually, that last stint with um, the Cavs, he had a 20.5 of 6 from 3 game 1 versus Toronto in 2018. And during a four-game stretch, which included that game, he shot 13 of 25 from 3. So this is a guy who is, yes, he's erratic. Yes, he's inconsistent. But this guy could win you a series, you know? Like I mentioned, he's not going to average 27, 30 minutes like he did back then. But in a limited role, maybe he'll be more efficient and productive. Uh, and you can mitigate his, you know erratic inconsistencies by actually giving him less time um so yeah tommy what are your thoughts on on the jr smith signing and and what he what he brings here outside of the fact that you know he knows lebron's tendencies lebron knows his tendencies and like alan mentioned like he's not only is he a crazy shot maker from three-point land where his his legs are like sort of flailing every direction but he's also a crazy shot maker within the mid-range area where he can you know, dribble off a dime and just pop a shot and he'll make it. I think this guy's shooting mechanics is so fluid and pure where it's like, 
as opposed to KCP, and this is no shade on KCP, but every time KCP shoots, even regardless of how many 40%, you know, shooting nights I've seen him have from beyond the arc, I'm still wondering whether or not it's going in or how badly it might miss. With J.R. Smith, it's almost the opposite where I, I'm kind of surprised if he misses, you know, because not only can he hit like the normal open shots, but he can hit those crazy like 45 footers where he's like fading out of bounds, you know? Uh, and it's purely because this dude has a legit jump shot and it looks so pure and the mechanics and everything are sound. But uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on uh, J.R. Smith, even if he is just an insurance type of guy? I honestly think the move makes like so much sense. I mean, he's obviously been around the guys, um, you know, there have been videos of him and Anthony Davis and LeBron biking around L.A. So like they've been obviously in contact. They've been hanging out. He's been living in L.A. Um I think it, you know, like you said, it, I think it came down to you're going into such a crazy situation. This is like not the time, uh, the time where you know you try to do something cute and sign like Trey Burke or like you know one of those random types of point guard or random other you know kind of floating player signings. You need a veteran who's been there and particularly has been there with some of your guys like LeBron. You know LeBron is going to trust him. Um, he. It seems like he's developing a relationship with AD. I feel like he knows several guys on the team. Um, so I, I think it's a really good move. I'm not even ready to rule out the the um, potential that he could close games out for us if KCP, you know, hits a cold streak or sometimes Danny Green, although he is obviously a much better defender overall than J.R. Smith, sometimes it becomes like a foot speed issue um, or you want like a little bit bigger of a guard compared to KCP playing the two guard. As you guys remember, like during the season that actually became a problem for us um, several times. We didn't have, it felt like we didn't have enough size at the two guard spot. Um, so J.R. Mm -hmm. Smith is bigger and longer than KCP. And that is a huge advantage even, even defensively if he does play. I just think it's such low downside. Like the upside is, uh, you know, sorry, I feel like his floor is he's going to be a, a big-time hype man on the bench. You know what I mean? It's like everybody needs somebody like that on the bench to, like, get your stars hyped up. And, and especially in this weird situation where there's no fans and they can't, like, build off the adrenaline of that kind of stuff. True. Like, guys like Jared Dudley, <laughs> J.R. Smith, like, these types of guys, it feels like they're going to become so much more important now. JaVale, yeah. Dwight, all these guys yeah, together. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's going to be loot. Yeah, and it's going to be lit and like that kind of stuff is going to help us. But I think JR at, at baseline contributes to that. And then the upside mm. is enormous. Like you said, he's hitting two threes a game. 37% is a high percentage. And let's keep in mind this, these were not like wide open spot up corner threes. You know what I mean? He, mm -hmm. it hits an absurd percentage of those. I mean, these are curl off the screen, catch it off one foot, fling it at the basket. You know, it's just like he, the degree of difficulty on his shots is so high. So to hit 37% for him is pretty sick. Um, you know, we have improved significantly as a three point shooting team this year compared to literally like, I don't know, every other year since Mike D'Antoni was not our coach anymore. Um, so despite that significant improvement though, I feel like we, had a lot of guys who were solid, fundamental, catch it, open, and shoot, and hit a good look at a shot, like KCP, like Danny Green, to the extent Kuzma was hitting shots. Kuzma Caruso, you know, he actually shot a decent percentage. All these guys, though, are kind of in the same bucket. Avery Bradley, I consider to be one of those guys. Mm -hmm. But we didn't have a guy who was like this Kyle Korver, J.J. Redick, and J.R. Smith, I put in the same category. Like, Clay Thompson, obviously, at a different level. But curl around a screen, unconscious, just catch it and fling it. You know you know how to get your feet set. You know how to square up with the basket. You know how to catch it and get you know into a good shooting rhythm very quickly and, and release it quickly. And J.R. Smith is like one of those guys. Um, and he could cause some serious, serious problems in the playoffs if he gets hot at the wrong time. So I, I, I really like the signing and, you know, it, it's a huge loss for AB, but given what's out there, I, I don't think you could do much better than this. It seems like a logical choice. Well, like you've called him before, he's an oh shit shooter, right, Tommy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's true. And, and on top of that, you know, outside of him being able to take these, you know, not set shots from three-point land, he's a more versatile jump shooter in general where he can pump fake, a guy's running at him, he takes two dribbles in, 
And he can hit that mid-range jump shot more consistently than anyone else on our team outside of maybe Avery Bradley, who's no longer here. And outside of those shots, he can do these weird reverse pivot spins into a jump shot, fadeaway jump shot, you know? It's, very it's a little bit it's a little bit Kobe-esque, you know, the way he's able to fade away and, and still hit these really tough jump shots. And, you know, during those playoff runs, it's almost kind of useless to point back to three, four years ago, but during these playoff runs with Kyrie Irving and LeBron James, he was almost kind of their third best player at times. When I'm when you I'm sure you watched some of these playoff highlights as well, Alan, where his chemistry with LeBron James is impeccable. Oh, yeah. Almost. Oh, it's totally. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. He knows where to find LeBron James. He's like off throwing the it off the backboard. <laughs> yeah. Out like multiple times. It wasn't just once. Yeah. And the other thing is LeBron James trusts the hell out of this dude. You know, that meme notwithstanding in the finals yeah. where he pinpoints him for those baseline shots for game winners that's crazy dude if, if you i mean lebron james trusts trust anyone and for for the most part especially you see the shots kcp's getting but even more so jr smith it's almost like that uh i keep throwing shade at kcp my bad dude uh, he had a good year dude he had a good year and he's gonna have another great year coming out of it coming into orlando but it's almost sort of that relationship between you know kobe and Derek fisher right where it's just like gonna find that dude and so it's kind of insane just the synergy that they both have with each other um, with that, and I was yeah. saying this earlier, but like this was one of the things that was annoying about you know being a Laker fan when the Lakers were bad and LeBron was on those good Miami Heat and Cavs teams. Um, LeBron always gets some random dude from his posse to join his team, and like when there's like ten games left, and then just destroy <laughs> like be just a completely unfair player in the playoffs because he'll get super hot at like a random game and win you a game because he had seven threes. I feel like. That always happens for LeBron. It obviously didn't happen last year just because we weren't like even a contender for a playoff spot. But it seems like that's happening again with certainly with Jr. and and I think it's it's pretty exciting because it usually works out for him. It seems like yeah, and like people have thrown out there and mentioned, you know how it hap- how it how it's been with Dwight Howard. I expect the same with Jr. Maybe not to the same extent as Dwight Howard, but you know Tommy and I were talking about this in our message thread prior, but. It's crazy to look at, this is, to me, this is the re-meme team, you know, like the redeem team, but the re-meme team, because we are redeeming the meme team that first started with this Lakers group without (laughs) Anthony Davis, where we had Michael Beasley, Lance Stevenson, you know, Rajon Rondo, and we were actually a playoff team midway through that season, and not only a playoff team, we were like third in the West before LeBron went down, so it just, I guess, speaks to how amazing LeBron James is, but on top of that, like, J.R. Smith is better than Lance Stevenson. You know, Markeith Morris is better than Michael Beasley. So it's crazy that you, you you have LeBron James, now you have Anthony Davis, and you have better, like, meme players. And maybe even if you had those same meme players, we'd still be, you know, this good. But I think the ceiling has just risen exponentially for the Lakers at this point with these sorts of guys. And like Tommy said, worst case is this dude doesn't play at all. And, oh, well, you know, we're still the same team for still the Still a hype part. man. Yeah. Exactly. So um, with that said, let's talk about J.R. Smith's counterpart now, Dion Waiters. Um, So I think the interesting thing, and, you know, I have an overarching question here of who do you think is going to have a bigger role here and get a bigger shot out of the two? Conventional wisdom would say probably J.R. Smith, maybe because he has veteran leadership. Let's throw it, throw, let's put to the side the fact that, you know, Caruso and KCP soak up all the minutes. Um, and let's say that there are minutes to be had around like 15 minutes. Is is Dion Waiters and J- or J.R. Smith going to get that? Or are they going to split time? Um, I think my case for Dion is the fact that, and I know Tommy just mentioned that back then he probably had a case for J.R. Smith over Dion, but we're not the front office and we're not, we, we're not sure what went into their thinking back then. But regardless, they picked Dion Waiters over J.R. Smith, right? And our primary concern back in March was the fact that we didn't have any primary creation abilities or playmaking abilities. And while J.R. Smith can still have, he still has crafty dribbles and stuff like that, he's no longer the, you know, insane driver that he once was, and he doesn't really playmake for others like he once did. And that's actually on Dion Waiters now, because this dude, you know, had seasons where he averaged almost five assists a game, and at the very least would average like two, 2.5 assists all the time. And he's actually still only 28 years old, believe it or not, which is insane to think about. Um, But yeah, so I think that fact, like looking back at why we signed him over JR back then, um, kind of makes me question, like, did they have, 
he was insurance back then, but now that Avery Bradley's out of the picture, I'm wondering, you know, if they had anticipated, if someone goes down, we could really use Dion Waiters. And even if somebody doesn't, we could still really use Dion Waiters' creation abilities and his ability to, you know, break people off the dribble, play make for others, and also get a shot of his own. Um, Dion Waiters, in a lot of ways, is not as sharp a shooter as J.R. Smith, but he's kind of like a poor man's J.R. Smith, except when J.R. Smith was younger and in his prime, because uh, Dion Waiters actually has a lot of craftiness to him. Um, he breaks people down really easily, actually, because he does a lot of like change of pace stuff where he's just yo-yoing the ball and all of a sudden he'll take a first step. Not that he's lightning quick or anything, but he really knows how to do that changing of gears sort of, you know, uh, almost like Andre Miller-esque type stuff where all of a sudden he has you. Um, and to me, he like has, I think it's changed over quarantine where he's gotten a little bit more svelte and stuff. But he, you know, in general, he has this very like Baron Davis, Kyle Lowry-ish, Raymond Felton-ish body type. Um, but he is surprisingly, even with that body type, very fluid, coordinated, and just athletic. And the way he's able to drive into the lane and like spin and like contort his body in the air has been actually a pleasant surprise for me that I didn't know he had in him. Uh, I describe it as sometimes, this is going to sound ludicrous, but I think because of his body type and how fluid he is with his handles and stuff, he kind of looks like a mini Zion Williams out there. Zion Williamson. <laughs> okay, that's insane. Because he plays basketball. <laughs> He's a basketball player. Um, what else? <laughs> okay, not dunking wise, but if you shrunk Zion Williamson and the way he handles the ball, that's Dion Waiters crossing people over and taking it into the lane. All right, um, but with that said, um, yeah. <laughs> Alan, what are your thoughts on Dion Waiters? You already gave it um, last episode, but do you think he will get a shot or a role here? And I guess in comparison to J.R. Smith, how do you think it's going to shake out? Sometimes it's useless to conjecture too much because we really don't know. Um I think one year that we can point to with regards to his effectiveness is the one year that he actually played in the playoffs with the Oklahoma City Thunder. And that was back in the 2015-16 season. He played 70 game, 78 games in the regular season and averaged 10 points, 2 assists on 40% from the field and 36% from 3, hitting 1.1 a game. Um, and he was doing that coming off the bench, you know, so in a more limited secondary role. Um, in that playoff stint when he was 24, he averaged 8.4 points, 2.4 assists on 42% from the field and 37.5% from three, hitting 1.1 a game in 27 minutes. And back then, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook were relying on this guy to, you know, hold up and shore up the bench for them. So, and he actually did some pretty productive things for them that season coming off the bench. So it's not like he doesn't know how to take a back seat. So, um, yeah, what are your thoughts on Dion Waiters and I guess in in comparison to J.R. Smith and how that'll shake out? Well, yeah, like uh, like you said, he's a guy that'll break you off the dribble. He's more of a guy who's going to get into the paint, actually. Um, so I, I think for like the casual fan, you think J.R., you think Dion, you're like, oh, yeah, they're like very similar players. Uh, I, I think their styles, especially now as J.R. is in his mid-30s, um, they're, they're very different. Actually, you get very different things out of Dion. Um, he's a guy who, yeah, he is going to pound the rock a little bit more, right? He, he may be dribble, dribble, dribble for like five or six seconds when the play breaks down, basically. And he is like your, okay, here's the rock, go do something with it because the set broke, you know? Whereas like we said with JR, you could actually run sets for him. Um, so he just serves a different purpose altogether. Uh, again, yeah, surprising to know that he's in his late 20s still. It seems like he should be older than that. And just looking at those OKC highlights and then the Miami highlights, I mean, even at the beginning of the season, his first game, I think, was against the Clippers. Um, he slimmed down even back then, mm -hmm. right? So something clicked in his head because I remember there were some, like, fat shaming jokes about this dude. I think it was in the off season. He like ballooned or something. Maybe this was two mm. years ago. I don't remember at this point, but it wasn't too long ago when he was like severely out of shape. And now beginning of this season, he looked way better, even better than OKC days when he was younger. So, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, everything that you said, like, I agree with all of it. Um, he is more of a, a playmaker as well. I think JR is capable of doing it too, but not to the same extent because he's not working with like the same amount of time on the clock. Like that's just not his, his purpose, right? He's supposed to shoot. 
So, um, yeah, I, I think in terms of like splitting up those minutes, does it all go to one player or the other? It's tough to say because their their dynamics are so different. Um, so I, I think it'll be really interesting to watch in terms of like which rosters they're going to roll with. Like what are the rotations going to be uh, chemistry wise? Who's going to gel with who? Uh, that'll be something really intriguing to pay attention to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before Tommy goes, his best season uh, came with Miami in the 2016-17 season in which he averaged 16 points four assists on 42% from the field and 40% from three, hitting almost two a game. And in that season, the Heat finished ninth in the Eastern Conference with a 41-41 record. So they weren't like a tank team. They were actually sort of playing for something. Um, and this dude actually has a fairly decent wingspan given his like 6'2"-ish height. He has a seven or six seven wingspan and has, you know, when he's turned it on defensively, has shown uh, an ability to leverage that length and, and use it for... I. I use it for good. I, I tweeted out um, that video of him chasing down Patrick Beverly and absolutely erasing and swatting his life on a layup. So, you know, maybe we'll see some of that as well in limited minutes if he buys in like the rest of this team has defensively. So, uh, yeah, Tommy, what are your thoughts on Dion Gummy Waiters? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so I'm I'm cautiously optimistic i think he is more likely to play um over jr in terms of obvious needs i mean jr you know i just went on a huge rant about how much i love him and he's it was a great signing but i i still think that we are pretty loaded at the guard spot i mean you could make an argument in some games we could use like a little bit of a bigger guard like i said with the kcp thing but i think dion fills a more clear void that we have um if he's playing well and he's in great shape and he's competing at the highest level with all these guys, then, you know, who knows, maybe he'll surprise us, but I'm trying not to get my hopes up too much just because I feel like he has let a lot of people down over the years. <laughs> and he, you know, has a, I know he's like changed and sometimes, you know, you could say easily say the same thing about several other guys we had on our team, Avery Bradley, Dwight Howard this year, um, so maybe Dion is just going to be another name on that list, but I, I'm not ready to be too excited about it yet. Cause I'm just not sure that we're going to be able to count on it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair to temper your expectations, but I guess, um, with regards to the uniqueness of the situation, I could actually see a scenario where, like we've mentioned before, if Caruso is not ready, if KCP all of a sudden, you know, retracts in terms of his progress and consistency. Um, Dion Waiters is sort of a veteran, and um, I guess we'll get into this with regards to our next segment of what Vogel's philosophy will be heading into this new training camp and this restart. But because we signed Dion Waiters back then with the purpose of, you know, shoring up our playmaking and creation ability, regardless of whether or not it was from an insurance standpoint, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like we will actually need his presence because like you mentioned, Tommy, like Rondo can't be the only guy, even if LeBron is playing more minutes, you know, in the playoffs, like he can't be the only pure creator on this um, team. And while Dion Waiters is not a pure point guard, I feel like back then when we signed him, the Lakers sort of hedged the middle with regards to, well, we don't want to just get a Kendall Marshall type guy. We also need a guy oh, who can K score Butter. for himself. I know. We need a guy who can kind of do everything. And while Deion Waiters is more of a scorer and more of a Keep pound it. the rock kind of guy, he's also a play <laughs> playmaker who can create for other people. And we need just in general that break your man off the dribble and and cause the defense to collapse. And I think that's exactly um, what Deion Waiters can do. So uh, I, I just hope he'll be able to do it efficiently. I will say he's never, sure. as far as I can remember... I mean, that, you could say that this about a lot of guys, but I don't think Dion has played with the quality of big man that we have on our yes. team. So maybe that'll open things up for him a lot. Um, so, right. you know, optimistic, I guess. I guess Whiteside, but but he's not really like a big time offensive guy. So True. I think for both Dion and J.R. Smith, I, I guess Dion has been able to play with guys like Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. But I mean, just getting a screen from a guy like Anthony Davis, just I feel like opens up yeah. a whole new world for these perimeter <laughs> players, you know? So who knows? And especially Anthony Davis and LeBron James, where they're two huge, you know, 6'9", 6'11", sort of forwards who are versatile. Huge. 
Huge. Uh, one last thing that I want to uh, mention is that, you know, you look at what the Lakers did right before quarantine post trade deadline and just scouring the market. And I said it to Tommy, but like getting Markeith Morris and getting Dion Waiters, like these are guys who we would have been happy to just sign on the free agent market during any summer, you know, but especially when we didn't have Anthony Davis yet. And we just had that one LeBron James summer. If we had signed Dion Waiters back then with like our mid-level, we would have been like, oh, solid. I can see upside here. But now it's kind of just like, oh, let's see what Dion Waiters can give us and whether or not he's able to actually play is, you know, it won't matter to a, a huge degree because we have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And now it's just like we have all of these wild cards, but for the positive and our ceiling, you know, we could reach crazy heights because of guys like J.R. Smith, Markeith Morris, um, Dion Waiters. And one thing I forgot to mention about J.R. Smith is I feel like a good comp for him in a more limited role is Eddie House on the Boston Celtics, where just a dude who can extend a lead for you and turn a game into a blowout. Or if you have a deficit, cut that deficit down really quickly because all of a sudden three threes later, wow, J.R. Smith did that in five minutes. Great. Or, you know, Dion Waiters, we just need a scorer right now. The game's getting out of hand. Go out there. And I think, Tommy, you mentioned this, but these two guys are sort of guys who kind of thrive on chaos. And in an environment like this bubble where so much is uncertain and you're just swimming in this sea of chaos, it's like it might be good to have several wildcard Under players. Under the sea. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Under the sea. Um <laughs> So it might be good to have as many of these guys as you can if you have these tentpole figures in LeBron James and Anthony Davis holding everything together. Now, if you don't have those guys, it could just go insane and haywire, you know. But because of Anthony Davis and LeBron James, it almost turns the tides the other way where it's like, you better be scared now because they can turn like any of these pumpkins into carriages. You know what I'm saying? I don't know what I just said there. Uh, But yeah. Uh, does anybody have any last things to say about Dion and JR before we close it out? Nope. Great. Uh, okay, we'll take one more break, and when we return, we'll just talk about the Lakers team in general. All right, so we're back, and uh, I guess the question now that I wanted to pose is just what we think about Vogel's philosophy heading into training camp. Um, how much are we copying copy and pasting what we did back in March into August? Um how much is Vogel going to tinker? Um, because I feel like the situation is so new and so many teams are adapting and transitioning. Individual players are adapting and transitioning. Every team has at least one guy who's not going to play, it seems like, or one or two new guys who they signed off the free agent buyout market back in back in March who they weren't able to integrate. So I feel like every team is going to undergo some sort of, you know, new element or aspect anyway. So in that sense, I feel like there's a temptation to maybe tinker more like it's the start of a new season, regardless of whether or not the majority of teams have 99% of their players coming back, you know? Um, So I guess the question is, it's obviously not going to be a perfect pace because you're not starting from ground zero, but there is enough fluidity that I feel like some coaches especially like a guy like Vogel, who's going to be missing Avery Bradley, but now sees Markeith Morris, J.R. Smith, and Dion Waiters and says, well, wait, I know things were working back then, but can they work even better now, you know, integrating these guys more with LeBron James and Anthony Davis? Um, So I guess the question, how much are we going to copy and paste and how much do you think Vogel will tinker? And again, we don't want to conjecture too much because it could go either way, but I guess if you personally you know, we're in charge of how to restart the Lakers during training camp. I guess what would what would you guys do, Alan? I mean, it's a cop out answer, right? But it's like like you said, it's a little bit of both. Um, these are good pieces that we picked up and especially like Markeith, uh, he really did show a lot right before the pandemic hit. So um, integrating him even more than what we had seen towards the end, uh, I think that would have happened, right? had life been totally normal. So that will seem like tinkering just because there's such a small sample size to work with with Morris. Um, but, I mean, it's like for everything that was going well, uh, sans Avery Bradley, like we're going to do it. Um, but inevitably, because he isn't there, and like Tommy said, we're really going to feel the effects of it, uh, there will be like significant changes with regards to how I think we approach 
defense in particular. Um, we, we don't have him as a bulldog hounding uh, the opposing guards full court. So how are we going to effectively apply pressure uh, as a collective? And that's like major tinkering, right? Our, our approach towards handling a James Harden or something like that, it's not going to look anything like what it was uh, before. So uh, in that sense, I think it'll be different. But for the things that I think like offensively, for the most part, I, I don't see a whole lot changing with what we were doing since it's it's so uh, reliant on AD and LeBron. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's just going to be a little bit of both. Uh, Tommy, what about you? Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't have a ton to add to to what you guys said. I think you, I honestly, I think you've summarized it pretty well. So I don't want to just repeat stuff, but but we like the sound of your voice. Can you just yeah, do it exactly. anyway? <laughs> Doing your best impression of someone. Okay, so I think for me, <laughs> <a> I no. <laughs> actually, I actually think it'll be more of a mini reset slash new integration of pieces than other people think i understand that continuity and cohesion are at a premium during this time um but like i mentioned even the normal slash typical opponents that the lakers are facing have had at least one or three weird circumstances that they're all dealing with that will sort of disallow them from coming back to how it once was or the status quo so in that sense it's like why wouldn't we as the lakers be innovative in that sense because you can view tinkering from a negative end or a positive end and there's a innovative way of tinkering you know there's a fine line between changing things up enough where you actually raise the ceiling of what your team can actually do and it's up to Vogel to sort of find that you know line um so in that sense I actually don't see how this isn't all that different from starting a new season it's like three months gap for the most part and like I mentioned, yes, we have a more direct and immediate frame of reference to what worked. And for the most part, there's far less turnover for most teams with regards to player personnel. But given replacement players, new buyout players still reintegrating, guys who are injured during quarantine coming back to play, like that's another angle. Like random dudes like Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic, who weren't even playing in the regular season, are all of a sudden going to play. So in that sense, the Portland Trailblazers are almost like a new offseason for the most part or a new training camp. And so for me, it's like, you know, it behooves Vogel to sort of treat it like that while taking into the context that he already knows and sort of finding like the perfect balance between the two. So um, there are enough moving and new parts here that I think it's valuable for, for Vogel to shrewdly tinker with these lineups and see what works the most while totally not, you know, diminishing the contributions that like guys like KCP and Caruso have done uh, for this Lakers team this season to establish their, you know, defensive identity and all of that. So, yeah, good luck, Frank Vogel. We we trust him at the end of the day. Um, Tommy, do you have anything up? Anything else to say? Um, no. I guess the only thing I was thinking about when you were talking about the uh, the reset versus continuity stuff. I really do think that Frank Vogel comes from the Phil Jackson school. I mean, he talks about it all the time, like how he views Phil as like a big time mentor. And I think Frank, like very clearly with this Lakers team, seems to have been taking um, the approach that like the mental part of the game is just as important as anything else. And for that reason, you know, they they talk the whole season about building good habits and doing, you know, certain things certain ways. And I think... It, it's, I think at least in the very beginning of training camp, it's just going to be, you know, we, when we left things, we were number one. Now we're back. We're, st we're still number one because we're not changing anything and we're just going to keep doing what we've been doing. So I, I think like for that purpose, at least the superficial appearance of continuity, you know, kind of makes sense. But then obviously there are going to be some things that he's just going to have to make up on the fly because of losing a huge roster piece and adding these two new kind of dynamic guys so yeah that's fair and i think one thing that i wanted to add is the fact that Dion waiters and jr smith have been on the lakers radar since march and so what we may think is crazy tinkering by the time we see training camp may not actually be tinkering at all if frank vogel as we suspect has been doing his homework and was already thinking about placing those guys in the lineup you know maybe not jr smith but like they at least knew his capabilities when they were jostling back and forth between the two you know so it wouldn't surprise me if frank vogel actually has a plan for this dude 
Because I'm sure they, they signed him on as insurance and anticipated, well, if this guy goes down, then he's going to play. And so, and they still have a month to go before actual gameplay starts. So it might not be all that crazy in terms of, especially if Frank Vogel and his staff have done their homework behind the scenes, which what have they been doing the last three months? But, you know, trying to figure out all these different configurations and whatnot. And I'm sure Dion Waiters was part of that. So in that respect, um, I'm sort of excited to see what's going to happen, even if, you know, for the most part, he tries to maintain the status quo. Um, so, yeah. With that said, that will do it for our episode. And as usual, follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Follow us on YouTube, search Lakers Legacy, patreon.com slash the Lakers Legacy Podcast. Rate us five stars on Apple iTunes and you will see Tommy's left wrist and the veins that are popping out of that. (laughs) 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 Oh man, this show, I don't know what this show has become anymore, but yes, please do that and uh, have a safe and healthy 4th of July. Everybody wear your goddamn masks, people, please. Um, Yeah, with that said, Tommy, Alan. Bye. I will will catch you guys later. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.